So, I want you to turn in your Bibles to the book of, of Ephesians, the book of Ephesians, and uh, you can also open your YouVersion Bible app. If you've got the YouVersion Bible app on your phone, go there, you just hit the, in the bottom right, hit the, 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 the button uh, that says more, then go to events and new life, and you'll have our message notes, of, uh, all the message notes from today, and you can follow along with us, you can keep those, save those message notes. Amen? Okay. A couple invites their pastor over for dinner. Uh-oh. <laughs> A couple invites their pastor over for dinner. After the pastor leaves, the wife says to her husband, I think pastor stole one of our spoons. So a few months later, they, they have the pastor over again for dinner, and, and the woman just couldn't help herself. She said, uh, Pastor, last time you were here, did you steal one of our spoons? He responds, no, I put it in your Bible. Oh. <laughs> okay, right. <laughs> that was pretty good, huh? You guys were really worried there, weren't you? <laughs> okay, well, today is Palm Sunday, as I've mentioned, it's Palm Sunday. And people ask all the time, what, what is Palm Sunday all about? Well, most the, the, the most common response is about Jesus' triumphal entry, and it is, that's, that's, that is true. But what I want you to understand today is Palm Sunday is about the day that Jesus revealed his true nature to the world. Jesus on Palm Sunday revealed himself as a humble servant king and savior. That's what Palm Sunday is about. What were they celebrating? That the world was seeing Jesus for who he is, a humble servant king and savior. And, uh, and Zechariah 9.9 says this, Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So what we see there is Jesus rides into Jerusalem on this donkey. The humblest, they call him a beast of burden, the humblest, the lowest level of the horse family. Jesus comes riding on this donkey. And his followers, they take palm branches, they take their coats, and they lay it down before him for the most, the humblest of all royal processions. Why? Because he's a humble servant king and savior. Jesus says in Matthew 18, 4, he says, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of God. You see, what Palm Sunday is all about, what we celebrate and what they were celebrating in this story is they were celebrating Jesus, Jesus revealing his true nature as the greatest in the kingdom. Why? Because in the earth, he came as a humble servant king and savior. He came as the least amongst men, a humble servant. He says, I have not come to be served. I have come to serve and to give my life 
as a ransom. Now I want to ask you a question. What does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? The word Christian means to be Christ-like. That's what it means. It just literally means to be Christ-like. To be Christ-like means to be like Jesus, a humble servant. The message from all of us, every day of our life should be, I haven't come to be served. You see, this world is filled with people that want to be served. They want to be they, they want to be made famous. They want, they want to be superheroes. They want, you know, that's the nature of this world. And that may become the, the greatest in this world, but to be the greatest in the kingdom, you have to become the lowest. Are you hearing me, church? We have to become Christ-like, a humble servant. Jesus says in Matthew 23, 11, he says, but he who is the greatest among you shall be your servant. What's he talking about there? The greatest in the kingdom. You see, where do you want to be great? Where do you want, do you want to be great in this world, in this life, which is temporal, it's short-term. Short-term greatness is no greatness at all, right? Or do you want to be great in the kingdom? He says, if you'll be a servant in this life, in this world, he says, you'll be great in heaven. That's his message to us today. So today we're finishing, we're finishing our message series on the book of Ephesians. We're, yeah, what? <laughs> we, have, we started this message series last August 28th. This has been a seven-month series, longest message series we've, we've ever preached here. <laughs> that I've ever preached. Amen. And so today, we're finishing this series that we've called The Mystery of the Church. And we did this series, like I said, seven months ago, but we did this series because the church is God's plan for the world. It's his greatest hope, the church. And unless we understand why the church was created, why Jesus came, why he said that he's coming to establish a church, why he wants there to be the church in the world. It's because it's his greatest hope. The title of my message today is The Christ-like Church. The Christ-like Church. You know what the most profound miracle in the Bible is? Some people may think Lazarus. You know, or maybe the Red Sea parting. I'm going to tell you the most profound miracle in the Bible is the salvation of man. It's the most profound miracle that, that man predisposed to sin, predisposed to disobedience, predisposed to godlessness, that man can be Christ-like. That is the most profound and powerful miracle that has ever done. And how many know God is still doing miracles? God is still doing miracles. Now think about this. The church is made up of people that have a decision to make. Am I going to be Christ-like and, and be great in the kingdom or am I seeking my greatness here on the earth? 
You see, the church is God's greatest hope for the world. That's why Jesus established it. How many know that salvation is based on our hope of Jesus, right? But God's hope, God's hope is the church. It's the church. So how many know that this, the expected outcome, how many know God had an expected outcome? How many know God doesn't do anything that doesn't have an expected outcome? His ex expected outcome of Jesus' death and resurrection was that man would be Christ-like. Jesus died. He was raised from the dead that we could become like him. And his hope is that the church would be like Jesus. Amen? So I want to pray. And as you pray, as I pray, I want you to open your hearts. You don't have to open your hearts to me. Open your hearts to what the Holy Spirit is speaking you, to you through this message. Amen? Father, I thank you, Lord, today. Lord, we, we all open our hearts to you, Holy Spirit. Speak to us, Lord. Change our lives. Refine our spiritual hearing. Allow us to see, Lord, you in your revealed person that we could become like you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I want to share with you what I'm calling three disciplines of Christ-like church. Now, you may say, well, why, why did you... Why, oh, by the way, why are you guys so quiet, by the way? Is there a reason? <laughs> we, can, we can get excited today, right? Amen? Amen. That sounds better, Martha Jo. Maybe we're quiet because George is not in here. He's out in the foyer. <laughs> so, but three disciplines of a Christ-like church. I, I use the word disciplines in this because how many know there's, that we play a part in this relationship with God? We play a part in becoming the church. And the, and, and, and the, Christian, uh, in the Christian world and, and the Christian tradition, there are things called disciplines. Prayer is a discipline. How many know worship is a discipline? Study is a discipline. I want to share three disciplines of the Christ-like church uh, with you. First... The Christ-like church walks in love. Say that, walks in love. Ephesians 5, I'm going to skip through Ephesians 5 a little bit, and, but Ephesians 5, verses 1 and 2 says this. Paul writes, he says, Therefore be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and gave himself for us an offering, and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. How many love that word sweet? How many know that Jesus' sacrifice is a sweet-smelling aroma to God? How many know that the church is supposed to be a sweet-smelling aroma to the world? Amen? Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 2.15, he says, We are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved. We as the church, are, there should be a sweetness. There should be a sweetness because of our love. Paul says here in verse one, he says, be imitators of God as dear children. In other words, be Christ-like, be like Jesus. He says, 
He says that, that we are to imitate God, be like God as children. How many know Jesus is the first child, the first son? He is the only begotten son of the Father. And we are to imitate God, and we're to be Christ-like. Amen? Paul says, 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, he says, Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Now, here's the way that the New International, the NIV says it. Follow me as I follow Christ. Now, how many know that the church today should be able to say to the world, imitate us? Think about that. Imitate us as we imitate Christ. We as the church are here to reveal Christ. This Palm Sunday is, is the revealing. It's, it's the announcing of the true nature of Jesus. How many know that it is the church that is called to reveal the true nature of Christ to the world? Paul tells us then, he says, he says here, he says, walk in love. Walk in love as Christ also loved us. How many know Jesus loved us? And we're to walk in love just as Jesus loved us. How many are ready for that one? How many know that people came to Jesus and, and talked pretty bad about him? People used bad language about him, and he loved them. People beat him, and he loved them. Not just with words. He didn't just say, hey, I love you anyway. No, he said, no, I'm going to die for you anyway. I'm going to lay my life down for you anyway. So how are we to be imitators of God? By what? Walking in love. Love for one another. We, church, church, hear me. We are an expression of God's love to the world. Are we going to be a full expression of his love? Or are we going to be a partial expression of his love? Are we going to only be a, an expression of love to the extent I can stand this person or that person? Did you hear me? You see, we're called to be an expression of God's love to the fullest. 1 John 4, 16 says, God is love. How many know God is love? Amen? Love is not God, but God is love. And he who abides in love, listen to this, he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. Okay, now what do you have? He who abides in love, we abide in love, and he who loves abides in God. Okay, there's this, there's this, What's taking place here is a koinonia, an interweaving of our lives in the love of God. We're interweaving our lives together in the love of God, and through that, the love of God is being manifest to the world. See, God's nature is love, and when we invite Christ to live in our life, when we invite him, the Holy Spirit comes in and he changes just like this, the Palm Sunday is revealing the nature of God, revealing the nature of Christ. When we invite the Holy Spirit and we say, come Lord Jesus, come and fill me with your spirit, come and change my life, he changes our nature 
to become Christ-like. Are you hearing me? John 3.35 says, By this all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. The greatest message of Jesus, according to this, is that the world looks at us, the church, and says, wow, look at their love for each other. Look at the way they take care and they protect and they cover each other. Amen? The Christ-like church is to be an expression of God's love. We, collectively, are an expression of the love of God. The second thing I want you to see, the second discipline of the Christ-like church is the Christ-like church walks in light. Walks in light. Verse 8, Ephesians 5 says this, For you were once darkness. How many in here were once darkness? Okay, we were all once darkness, right? That's what he says. For you were once darkness. Remember, he's writing, Paul is writing to who? The church at Ephesus. He's writing to the church. He says, you were all once darkness. But now you are the light, you are light in the Lord. He's saying you were once darkness, not in darkness. He says, you were darkness. But now you are light. Where? In the Lord. Okay, the koinonia, right? The koinonia with God. You were light in the Lord. Now walk as children of light. Again, he's, the reference goes back to Jesus as the Son of God and that we are children of God. Therefore, we are children of the light. He says, walk like it. Live like it. Be the expression of it. One of my, my father's favorite passages of Scripture, every one of his Bibles, and I have a few of them, but every one of his Bibles is written, Psalms 119.105, which says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light unto my path. Every day you should wake up and say, Lord, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. How many know that the word is, speaks of who? Jesus. Remember John John tells us that, that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. It's Jesus. So Jesus is a lamp unto my feet and a light to our path. And Jesus says in John 8, 12, he says, listen to this. He says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Have light, light of life. But then in Matthew 5.14, Jesus says this. He says, you, look at your neighbor and say, you are the light of the world. Jesus turns, he says, he says, now you, you are the light of the world. You. It's one thing for us to say, Jesus is the light of the world. He's, no, Jesus puts that right back on us. He says, no, now I dwell in you. You dwell in me. The Holy Spirit is alive within us. Now you are the light of the world. But then he says this, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Now, how many know that a city can't be one person? He's talking about the church. The city set on a hill is not one 
it's not just me. It's the church. The church is to be a city set on a hill. The Christ-like church is to be a city of light on a hill for the world to see. Can somebody say amen? This is good stuff. I'm enjoying it at least. I'm, I'm getting saved up here, okay? <laughs> Verse 13 goes on to say, now listen to this. All things that are expected, or, I'm sorry, all things that are exposed, all things that are exposed are made manifest by light. For whatever makes manifest is light, okay? What he's saying is everything that's exposed is exposed by light. He tells us that we are the light of the world, that we as and his church is to be the light of the world, and that everything that is manifest is manifest because we're light. Now hear this. This is why we don't need to name other people's sin. We just need to be light. This is why the church is not called to be like the old evangelist. If you want sin, I'll name sin. I'll tell you what your sin is. We're not to be judgmental. We're to be light. Can somebody say amen to that? This is why we don't need to stand on street corners yelling and telling people they're going to hell. We just need to be light. That's what we're called to be. We're called to be light. Nowhere do I see in the Bible that it says, tell people they're going to hell. Go out and be judgmental and tell people their sin. No, it says for us to be light. The Christ-like church is to be a light on a hill, a light, a city on a hill, a light on a hill for people, for the world to see, to expose this world. How many knew this world needs to be exposed? The sinfulness, the corruption, all of that stuff in this world needs to be exposed. And the only way it's exposed is by the church being a city of light on a hill. Amen? So the third, the third Christ-like discipline, the discipline of a Christ-like church is to walk in wisdom. Walk in love, walk in light, and here he says, walk in wisdom. Ephesians 5.15 says, see that you walk circumspectly, which means upright, or uh, walk rightly. He's telling us to walk upright, not as fools, but as wise. How many know to, be, to walk uprightly, to be uprightly means to walk in wisdom? Constantly walk in wisdom. Verse 16 then goes on and says, redeeming the time because the days are evil. How many know the days are evil, right? That's what the word says. I'm not telling you that's what the word says. But there is a way that we can redeem the time. Verse 17 then goes on and says, therefore do not be unwise. Church, do not be unwise. You don't need to be unwise. You can walk in wisdom every single day of your life. He says, therefore, do not be unwise. Here's the key. Understand what the will of the Lord is. Church, I got to tell you, if you hear nothing out, understand what the will of the Lord is. The key to wisdom is knowing 
the will of the Lord. Three things I want you to note here. One, up, walk uprightly. Walk in wisdom. Confidence in God's wisdom. Confident if you, if, that if, you, if you go to him, he will give you wisdom. Walk in wisdom. Two is redeeming the time. What does that mean? How many of you ever heard say, if you do something right the first time, you won't have to do it again? Everybody ever hear that? You know, I wish I could have learned that years ago when we, at Christmas, we were putting our kids' toys together, and I'd always put them together wrong. I'd have to go back and do it all over again. <laughs> you know? Anybody ever done that? I don't need the instructions, right? I can put this together. I can look at the box, and I'll put it together, right? <laughs> what he's saying here, the way to redeem time is get God's wisdom first. Get God's wisdom first first. The third thing I want you to note here is understanding what the will of the Lord is. There's nothing God. There's nothing in our lives that we need more than His will. Understanding what the will of the Lord is. James 3.17 says, but the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits. Now listen to what he says. How do you know it's wisdom from above, that it's wisdom from God? Because it is first. He says, you're going to know because it's pure. You're going to know because it brings peace. You're going to know because it's gentle. You're going to know because, because it's going to make you want to be willing to yield. How many know God's wisdom means willing to yield to him? Willing and it says, full of mercy and good fruits. How many know that true wisdom only comes from above? It comes from God, right? But James does tell us here, he goes on, if you read that, if you read that passage, he tells us in James 3 that there is a wisdom that does not descend from above. He says that it's earthy or earthly. It's sensual. He says it's demonic. You see, what, when, we, when we try to go about our lives not knowing his will from the beginning, not seeking his will every single day, he says what you're depending on is on earthly wisdom. You're depending on maybe what you know, what you, what you learned here or there, or maybe what others in the world are telling you, or you're, 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 you're doing it without getting God's will. People come to, to me as pastors and say, this is something I'm planning to do. I'm gonna start a business. Well, did you hear that from God? Did you get a word from God? I, I wanna buy a new car. Did you, did you hear that from God? Well, pastor, do we have, to, we have to ask God for everything? Yes, you do. Every single day, your heart should be so full of, God, I want your will. I want your purpose. I want your wisdom. God, before I, I make this turn, you will frustrate the daylights out of people that are waiting for decisions because you're saying, I'm going to hear from God first. Are you hearing me? If you don't, he says it's earthly, it's sensual, and it's demonic. But, he, but isn't God good? He always gives us redemption. He says, but if you'll go back and get the will of God, I'll redeem the time. Amen? God is good, isn't he? 
all the time. Amen. He's telling us here, at James 1.5, he tells us, he says, if you lack wisdom, most of us don't want to say, I don't know. Somebody comes and asks you a question, you feel a pressure to give them an answer. When really the answer is, I don't know. I need to talk with the Lord about this. He says, if any of you lack, it's the sign of humility. I lack wisdom, God. God, I come before you. I lack wisdom. To those that are dependent on me, sometimes I just don't know. I need to hear from God. I need to hear from God. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask. In other words, let him seek. Well, that's a novel idea. Seek God. Think about that. Let him seek God. What's our, one of the highest priorities of our lives as, as believers, followers of Jesus? I'm going to seek him. I want to seek him until I can see him. I want to seek him until I see what he wants me to do. I'm going to seek him until I, I hear his voice. I want to seek him until I know, as my father used to say, that you know that you know deep down in your knower what God is saying to you. That's the way he says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. You see, the Christ-like church walks, walks in God's wisdom. Walks in God's wisdom. I'm going to ask the worship team to go ahead and come back up. The Christ-like church. You see, the Christ-like church is made up of Christ-like people. Christ-like church is filled with people that I don't want to be Steve Johnson myself. I want to be Steve Johnson in Christ. Are you hearing me? There's a difference. What is the world crying out for? I got to be the true me. I want my true identity. Well, you see, where we determine our true identity is we go to God. God, show me a picture. Reveal, reveal Jesus to me, and I'll know my true identity. Are you hearing me, church? Does this make any sense to you? That's what the Christ-like church, the Christ-like church walks in love. The Christ-like church walks in light. Christ-like church walks in wisdom. You see, Christ-likeness comes as we invite Jesus into our lives. Now, most of us as believers, that we've been believers, think that means one time, okay, I invite Jesus, I get saved. That's, I don't have to. No, I'm going to tell you every day of your life, I invite Jesus into this decision that I'm making. I invite Jesus into this relationship that I'm in. I invite Jesus into my business. I invite Jesus into my plans. I invite Jesus into anything and everything I do. Relationships, decisions, homes, minds, hearts, everything. We invite Jesus. And as we do, as we do, all of a sudden we begin to realize Man, Jesus is right here in the midst of this with me. And I'm Christ-like. This decision looks like Jesus. This relationship looks like Jesus. My home 
looks like Jesus. And how many know our church should look like Jesus? Amen? So would you bow your heads with me? Father, today, Lord, we come to this place of understanding, Lord, that you have created us as children of love, children of light, children of wisdom. Lord, today we, we stop today. And I'm going to ask you just to pray this prayer with me, every person here. This is a call for salvation, but it's a call for growth and spiritual understanding. Lord Jesus, I invite you into my life. Pray that with me. I invite you into every area of my life, into those secret regions of my heart, over those areas of my mind and past that I can't seem to get rid of or deal with. They keep creeping up. Lord Jesus, I invite you into those places. Lord, I pray that you would bring your Holy Spirit into every part of my life. Bring your wisdom. Bring your love. Bring light. Shine light onto every part of my life right now. God, I open. Church, pray this. God, I open my heart to you completely. Change, transform me to be like Jesus. That's our prayer. That's our prayer. We're going to take and share communion together. If you have your communion cups, just take that, that wafer out. Hold that in your hand. You know, Jesus, Jesus came and he, he invites, think of it this way, I'm going to flip this story a little bit. He invites you and me to this upper room with him. He says, come up hither with me. He invites you today to come up to this upper room. And he takes this piece of bread and he says, hey, this is my body. This is my body that was broken so that you could come up to this room with me, so that you could know me. My body was broken for you. I want you to take that piece of bread, just break it. Break it. And pray this prayer. Lord Jesus, today I receive your brokenness, your broken body, because it's through your broken body that I'm made whole. I receive your body. Let's partake. Jesus took the cup. You know, when he took the bread and broke it, he took bread and broke it, but the Bible says that he, he didn't take wine or juice or any whatever. He didn't take that. He took a cup. 
And he identified as, this is the cup of my new covenant in my blood. He says, what's in this cup is the foundation of a new life for you, a new covenant, a new agreement that says, no, I don't have to live a performance life. I don't have to be like the world, that I have a new covenant with Jesus, that if I will walk with you, I'll be like you. He says, he takes this cup of the new covenant. He says, when you drink of this, you drink of my blood, which washes away, church. He says, it washes away your sins as far as the east is from the west. You become completely whole and pure and as white as snow. Jesus says, drink of the cup. Drink all of it. Let's drink. I'm going to ask you to just stand to your feet. Father, God, I thank you, Lord, today for your broken body. I thank you for your shed blood. Lord, today as we begin this holy week, Lord, my prayer is that every one of us would ponder, contemplate what you have done, the the magnitude of what you did on the cross, what it means to partake of your broken body and your shed blood. So Lord, today we take, we partake of you. Lord, our prayer is make us like Jesus. Lord, make us love, make our love to be an expression to the world that they, that you will not be missed. Lord, make us light. Lord, that we'll shine the light on the world that draws people, that gives clarity to people. Lord, give us wisdom, Lord, in everything we do. Help us, Lord. Help us to be addicted to your wisdom. Guide us, Lord. Father, that's our prayer, Lord, today. We thank you, Lord, for what you're doing. We give you honor. We give you glory today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's just lift our hands. Stand, lift our hands. Just let the Holy Spirit flow over you as we sing this last song. Let it seal what God has spoken, what the Holy Spirit has spoken in you this morning. Let's worship.